Hey, uh, did you catch any of the UVA Florida game basketball? I did not actually. Yeah, great game, great back and forth effort. A contrast of styles. UVA forced uh, 16 turnovers with 15 steals, which was exciting. But Florida really beat them up on the offensive glass. Close game, two tournament teams probably. Going to be a big win for UVA in bracketology when things happen in March. But I don't care about any of those things. I want to talk about Corey Gate. Corey Alexander. Already your favorite commentator. So I want to be careful here because there's already a back and forth on Twitter about this. And Corey Alexander, undoubtedly one of UVA's all-time great shooters, which he will also be glad to tell you about on the broadcast. But he does a lot of ESPN games or ACC Network games, those kind of things. And he's not my favorite guy to listen to because he frequently will just kind of delve into like personal stories which I'm, you know, it's fine if you're listening to a podcast, but like on the broadcast, I'm trying to watch a game. It's like a two hour game. Things are happening all the time, but also undoubtedly true. A great steward of the university does a lot of charity work. Seems like an all around nice guy. I have not met him, but just the, the number of people who have come out to defend him after this has been very high in the community. But end of the game for those three of you listening who don't know what happened. Close two-point game late. Ball goes out of bounds off of, or maybe it was a one-point game. It was a one-point game. Yeah, one-point game. Ball goes out of bounds inside of a minute. There's like 55 seconds left. Off of a Florida player, it's going to be UVA's ball. Big moment in the game. They review it, as they should, because it was kind of a like slap the ball out of somebody's hands moment. They don't get a clear angle of it. Stays UVA's ball. Then Corey, who is broadcasting the game, chimes into the ref. The ref asks him specifically, did we get it wrong? And Corey says, yes, basically. He calls over the ref. He, like, waves at him on the broadcast, and he says, I got a great. He gestures to the officials to take a look, and then goes back on the broadcast and says, we are going to have our officials look at this again. And then he turns the monitor around, showing the officials... There are great angles that they've got from the broadcast. Call gets reversed, Florida ball. Now, I, like Tony Bennett, was pretty angry about this and remain angry about it days later. Even though UVA won, didn't end up influencing the game. This is ridiculous that a commentator would be able to influence the game like that. And... The flip side of this, that the, like the counterfactual that I keep coming back to, as a UVA alum, if it had been the reverse situation and they had called it Florida ball, but there appeared to be a better angle, and he called the refs over and was like, hey, man, you got to look at this angle. It's going to help UVA. There would be riots in the street. Yeah. I mean, to the extent that people care about Florida and Virginia basketball. <laughs> but like he would be suspended. Yeah. He would absolutely be suspended for that. You can't influence a game like that. Yeah, it's it's not a good look and I think you know like you said if it if it were flipped around, it would definitely people wouldn't be brushing it off and I'm not saying everyone is, right? But like if you're not plugged into the online communities of Virginia fans or Florida fans, it's probably especially Virginia fans 
there's probably not coming up outside of that really i'm not seeing a ton of discourse online about it just because that's not necessarily my online arena like we're not whether Corey alexander is yeah i mean allowed to do this basically the things that i've seen are just like yeah this is kind of a crazy thing i've never seen before pretty unanimously people saying this shouldn't happen (laughs) but if it were if it were the other way around if he had kind of had a call changed in favor of his alma mater i think it would there would be a lot more outrage it's not it's not great it it definitely is a new way for him to inject himself into the game that he is broadcasting which i thought he had already kind of mastered that art but he does that a lot yeah he talks a lot of stories like in the middle of close games too he'll just be like let me tell you about yeah i think i'm one of the all-time greats at uva don staley pretty good too and you're like this there's a one-point game with under a minute to go. What are we talking about? Yeah. Like, well, let's maybe focus on the game here. We're talking about Corey Alexander. And you know what? It's working because here we are still talking about him, too. I know, and, and there, I already hear, like, some people, because I've seen a lot of UVA fans on Twitter be like, come on, Corey's a good guy. Absolutely. And, like, it's fine. UVA won the game. Get over it. I just think it's a really bad precedent and a really bad look. And worse than both of those things, like you alluded to, we're going to have to hear about this now every time. He's going to call like 15 UVA games this year. And every single game, he's going to make a reference to how he made Tony Bennett angry. And Tony Bennett lost his mind. And sharing what the text messages were back and forth and like adjudicating that. And it's like, man, come on. Like, I don't want to hear that. I don't want to hear about it the rest of the year. That was moratorium on him talking about it. I support that. My favorite thing was him like sheepishly saying, oh, and now Coach Bennett's yelling at me from across the co- Oh, he's yelling at me. <laughs> he was like, like, he's like, it's on me. Yeah, I was doing my job, though. I'm yeah. like, no, you weren't. No, you that, were not doing and that your was, job. That's exactly what it looked like Tony Bennett said, was you do your job, which is not officiating. Right. Either way. Like, it just stay out of it. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. It's just not... It's not a great look. From a basketball perspective, I would just say you alluded to in the preseason that you thought Blake Buchanan was going to be a major contributor, and he absolutely was in this game. Team high, 18 points. Got to the line a million times because he was so active around the rim. One of the only people that could match the size of Florida. And Florida is just like... Man, they were just beating us up on the glass. They have four different players that are six nine or taller. So that may be something interesting to look forward to, like how UVA makes adjustments. They are kind of an undersized team. So when you play a team like that, how do you match up? But really big contributions from him. Big contributions from Jake Groves as well, even though he missed a dunk that then led to like a 11-0 Florida run. That was kind of lame. But... Yeah, good stuff from the team. A big early season win. The reason that I look at this game and think, oh, yeah, Buchanan is going to be in that starting lineup soon because Groves, this is like a super reductive basketball take, but I still think it can apply. That man is six foot nine and had zero rebounds in that game. Mm -hmm. If you're one of the taller players on the court, just like, and this is the reductive part of it, it's like it's not just about being tall, but. If you play in a basketball game as one of the tallest players on the court, a rebound is just going to find its way to you at some point. But he had one rebound against Tarleton State. Right. 
So you can't be the only starting, like only starter in this game listed on the roster as a forward because Ryan Dunn's listed as a guard, but obviously was the leading rebounder of the uh, for the whole team. Um, you can't just not rebound at all. So for a team that was struggling in that facet of the game against a bigger team, I think Buchanan seems to be a necessity almost. Like he was great on the offensive glass, got to the free throw line. I just think he gives a different element to this team that they need. I did watch, I did go back and watch a bunch of clips. I was unavailable at the time of this game, so I was not able to watch it live. But I will say that Dunn defensively looked like a absolute stud. Uh, and we knew he had that ability. But if he defends like that for the whole season, like he is going to make himself a higher draft pick than I think anybody thought he would be. Yeah, I would say the only thing about Dunn, I want him to be more assertive offensively. There sure. are just he made a couple of plays in the second half where he was like very active on the glass and getting the ball to the basket. And I we need to see more of that from him because that is what NBA scouts are going to want to see too. Like he can't go through most of the game with like four points, right? Like he needs to be more active but you're right defensively like it allows UVA to switch all over the court they do that a lot more in the last couple of years than they have done previously under Tony Bennett Blake Buchanan I also thought played really really well defensively he's just so active and quick on his feet for being as tall as he is so like mm-hmm. able to guard stretch fours and fives which was very encouraging to see so yeah I have liked what I've seen from UVA free throw shooting needs to be a little bit better it's really really bad through two games but maybe that's just a blip on the radar you hope I'd want to see more from Dante Harris I have the mea culpa of he didn't start either of these first two games and I said all off season that he was going to start I still think he is a critical person that to this lineup and just his ability to go get a bucket at any point and his ability to guard individually is really really important but didn't start, so I got that one wrong, but whatever. I think he's coming. I don't know. I don't think that from what I've seen that Andrew Rohde has been like yeah, they, I far mean, and away above him. If if that's the the alternative, which it probably right. is, right? Like looking at the – you know, Reese is going to start, Dunn and McNeely because you need McNeely shooting out there, probably going to start. And I just don't think that, you know, then it's that fifth starter of Rohde or Harris and I – I don't know. I could see matchup dependent too moving forward. I, we'll see, but I don't think that Rody has necessarily separated himself. It was weird seeing Tony Bennett that angry. It's kind of like I, uh, I don't know when one of your parents flips out in, yeah. pu- in public and you're just not used to seeing it. Like I the only it. other time he's gotten one technical during his time at UVA, which was in the early in his career against Maryland. I was at the game and he got really angry late and threw his coat, <laughs> and that felt weird. And it actually ended up costing UVA because then Maryland made the technical free throws and the game was over. So I wish he hadn't done that. But, yeah, you just don't normally see Papa that angry. He's usually so reserved, but uh, I loved it. I think it was great to see him just – and it's so funny that, like, a coach that you don't normally see get angry like that and it's directed at Corey Alexander. (laughs) 
Welcome to the Preferred Walk-Ons Podcast. This is Michael McGraw with Michael Shutt. Today is Tuesday, November 14th, and happy anniversary. We've been doing this now for a little bit over a year, season two. What'd you get me? Um, I got you some great takes about Jimbo Fisher oh, to come. Great. Perfect. The well, gift that keeps on giving. I guess I will take it. It is uh, the paper anniversary i believe is your first anniversary and jimbo's going to be collecting a whole lot of paper oh yeah so i man i felt like the games themselves weren't particularly exciting this past weekend but the storylines just wonderful wonderful storylines we can start with jimbo because he's fun he gets fired after winning a game by 40 the Mississippi State coach who lost the game by 40 also got fired. Which I love. It kind of feels like Mississippi State, like they looked at it and said, wait, hold on. The team that just beat us by 40, they fired their coach. I feel like now we have to fire ours, right? Like you win that game and get fired. I think you absolutely have to get fired for losing that game. This has happened before. Like people were asking online whether there have been games in college football history where both teams fired their coach. And the 2019 Egg Bowl involving Mississippi State was another of those situations. Right. So some, something weird going on something. with Mississippi State. But <laughs> Jimbo Fisher, national championship coach at Florida State, goes to Texas A&M. He's guaranteed to make $76 million on this contract and is being bought out. Texas A&M is going to have to provide him with $20 million approximately in the next 60 days which is amazing i don't know what to make of this texas a&m fans i think my my top line takeaway is that i'm gonna stop saying to you that nc state is the most delusional fan base because i think this is a level of self-importance and delusion that cannot be topped in the texas a&m community you don't say <laughs> yeah i just you know i don't know what nc state's version of texags.com is but <laughs> <laughs> pack pride would be the closest thing but uh, on the one hand he has underachieved i think it's fair to say they he has yet to have a season where he has had nine wins he is 27 and 21 in the sec but at the same time like i get the sense that everybody at texas a&m just assumes that because they have a lot of money that they should just instantly be national champions like you just show up have a lot of oil money sitting around, and then that equals you are Alabama and Georgia. And I don't feel like that's how programs work. It's tough to get kids to go to College Station. It's tough to recruit against TCU and Texas and Texas Tech and SMU and a million other schools that exist in the state. Like, but, I, I don't know. Like, But it's not even about recruiting. Like He's winning recruiting. He's like He has four consecutive recruiting classes that are in the top eight nationally. In 2022, he signed the number one class. So, like, that's that's what – and this is, like, to prove your point. You, there's no – you almost can't make sense of this because, on the one hand, like, Texas A&M, you can go through and they haven't really been all that successful at a national level since, like, World War II. Mayor Bryant, bring him back. Part, part of Junction me, boys. There's part of me that I was, like, you know – looking a little bit more into this and reading some stories about Jimbo and, and Texas A&M. And I was like, I don't know, man, like this team could still go eight and four. That feels pretty good for Texas A&M because it does like objectively. But at the same time, like 
bringing in so 24 7 sports does this team talent composite ranking where they go through like recruiting rankings and look at the entirety of the roster and over the last two years the only teams with more talent than the aggies in the country are alabama georgia and ohio state like that's pretty good company to be in talent wise but if we think about jimbo and you mentioned his career record at texas a&m so in 2020 they had that really good year where they finished top five um, he signed a 10-year extension for $95 million. Oops. Uh, <laughs> Fully <laughs> guaranteed, too. Since then, since then, Texas A&M is 19-15 and 15 overall, 10-13 and 13 against the SEC, 12-14 and 14 against Power 5 teams. They're 1-9 in true road games. They haven't won a road game in the last nine outings. So you, go, you have to go back to like the beginning of last season. Four and 10 in games decided by eight points or less including a seven-game losing streak of those games. And in 2022, they went 5-7, and seven, which was their worst record since 2009. Jimbo Fisher's career, his record after 70 games is worse than Kevin Sumlin's was after seven games. Should have kept Kevin Sumlin. Maybe. I mean, but, but here's the thing is, like, as someone who doesn't pay a lot of attention to Texas A&M, like, I know the narratives are out there that, like, they're underachieving because of the recruiting uh, success. But when I just look objectively at the records and see, okay, Texas A&M right now six and four, four and three in the SEC, I'm like that feels about right. Mm-hmm. You know, I I see them. I, I know you you know made the joke about the fan bases, but like in terms of on the field success, I see them as relatively on par with NC State. Like they have similar, they operate on similar levels in terms of winning. Obviously, we're not in the SEC, so but still. There's that side of this where I look at it and say, like, I don't know, man. Jimbo's doing fine there. Like, that should be – you should be happy with that. But then they have all this money, so they think they should be better. When you bring in that much talent, you should be better. It's laughable to read some of the stuff about how, like, unorganized he is. Yeah. He's got his whole just, like, sitting on the sideline with, like, a stack of papers. Yeah. Like, he looks like he's about to file a court mo- motion or something, <laughs> but he's, like, late getting there. So he's, he's just like, trying to call a running a running play on third down. <laughs> yeah. I mean, th- I mean, I will say for Texas A&M, like, their quarterback, Connor Weigman, he was great to start the year, and then he goes down with an injury. Max Johnson, their backup, who is not nearly as good, also been dealing with injuries. So, like, you get down to your third string quarterback and you're still eight and four probably like that's pretty good i mean i don't know like that would tank a lot of teams but i mean i guess i get it if you're paying somebody 95 million dollars you expect immediate success so it's fine if that's what they want to do the education background part of me is a little bit frustrated that so many schools in the world are dealing with budget cuts and can't fund different departments but you know they're just like hey let's just throw 20 million dollars at this immediately and then bobby bonilla it the rest of time so to make this guy go away but yeah. whatever look i think jimbo fisher there's good there right I, like i think on some level he knows what he's doing i mean i think he is really football smart i think he has really you know he's known for having super complex schemes and this is two years in a row now that the best performance they've had has been in a game where they're playing their third string quarterback. And so he's had to simplify the game plan. So maybe you're like trying to overthink it. Maybe some, you know, you recruit these, I mean, you look at their wide receiver room and it's, it's crazy. The talent they have, let those guys play, just get them. I don't know. Hit them on a 
tunnel screens. Yeah, let's just, go. <laughs> just like let's put the ball in their hands and let's go. They do have bad offensive line play, but I mean, you look at this and like he's struggled to adapt to the transfer portal. They don't really do that much. Well, they had a lot of people who in those young recruiting classes, then after a year, they got their money, their NIL money. And oh, sure, sure, sure. I mean, like like bringing people in. Right. I know. Like that, that is a problem to recruit a bunch of freshmen, train them and then have them go somewhere else and succeed. Like that's bad. That's not a good thing for you. Yeah. They Texas A&M for five months now has not had a director of player personnel. So the person who usually coordinates your recruiting operations, including transfer portal stuff, they just don't have a person in that job. He was asked in August about filling it, and he said there was no timetable for filling that position. His quote, a recruiting director ain't doing all the recruiting. Every coach still does it. As a head coach, you're still regulating it all. So he just kind of was like, I don't need that. I'm good. Well, I'm glad to hear one coach taking responsibility for what goes on in their <laughs> yeah, program. That's right? kind of a epidemic right. problem. But you know, they don't have a special teams coordinator at Texas A&M, and right. if you go through their entire coaching staff, nobody has special teams in their job title. It's like opposite Frank Beamer. Is yeah, that up there, and they consistently have the worst special teams in the SEC. Like, no wonder he just doesn't care about it. I don't know. There's there's all sorts of clock management stuff. Like, I get it. Ultimately, I understand. I guess my thing I'm struggling with is who are you going to hire that's going to be better? You going to promote Bobby Petrino? Nope. My favorite name that's floated out there, Texas A&M alum, Dan Campbell. Yeah, let's go. Because he's going to totally leave the 7-2 and two Detroit Lions to come coach Texas a He would A&M. be actually a really good hire for them. If, if Oh, he'd be an excellent hire. But I wouldn't pick up the phone if I were him. <laughs> like, are you kidding? Yeah. You have one of the most exciting teams in the NFL now, and like you've done this thing that's pretty incredible. Why would you go to Texas A&M to just get fired if you go, you know, if you have the success he's having in Detroit right now, if you have that level of success in College Station, they're going to fire you after two years. Yeah, I've seen some of the names. Mike Elko's name has popped up, which makes sense. He was yeah. defensive coordinator there and coaching well at Duke, the UTSA coach. Some of the coaches, though, that get on these lists, I just don't understand. It's like Lane Kiffin. Yeah. Why would Lane Kiffin just do a – I mean, I guess it's a better infrastructure setup and more money, but, like, why – he's got a pretty good thing going at Ole Miss. Everybody loves him. Why would he go to a school? They've fired – they've fired their last 11 coaches at Texas A&M. That's really, really bad. Why would you want to go somewhere like that? I don't know. Ole Miss can pay him. I mean, not that much. Not as much as Texas A&M could pay him. And that's ultimately, I can't remember who it was. Some Somebody I saw made this point. Sometimes when we talk about coaching jobs, we're like, oh, how's this job from a recruiting standpoint? And, you know, program culture and stuff like that. And somebody pointed out, sometimes we forget what jobs are really about. What's the number one thing we all look at when we're looking for a job? Compensation. So it was not Dan Lanning, apparently. If, if, yeah, fair. Well, I mean, he's probably fine up at Oregon. Like, yeah, they I got mean, Nike why, money. Yeah, exactly. Like anyway, I, I love how quickly he was just like, no, I'm not doing that. But like, there's somebody out there who's got a what we think of probably right now as a pretty good football job, but that money's gonna come through, and they're like James mm, Franklin. Yeah, maybe three and seventeen in the last twenty games against uh, top ten opponents. I think it is. 4-16 and 16 against OSU and Michigan. Let's talk about that for a second. Sure. So here's my top-line takeaway. James Franklin, 
not great at winning against big teams, but consistently going to go nine and three, ten and two every year, finish in the top fifteen, make a Rose Bowl, pretty good. Sign me up. I, I mean, seriously, like I was talking about this with Chris. Like UVA should back up the truck for either him or Jimbo, and I don't particularly like either one of them. James Franklin, I like as a person at least, whereas Jimbo, I, I'm not sure. I can't imagine you being a fan of a Jimbo coached team. No, I can't either. But at the <laughs> same time, like UVA should do it. Throw 10 million at him. Why not? Let's go. Yeah. Let's get that nine and three season and recruiting. And I mean, it's not going to happen. But let's go ahead and start the rumor here on the show. But. I, th- I think I like, did hear I'm tracking his I, flight right now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying like Jim Franklin. I get why Penn State fans are frustrated. You come out and lose a game like that to Michigan where they don't have a coach. They've had their guys suspended right before the game. Total turmoil. And not only do you lose, you lose with the other team respecting your offense so little that they ran 32 consecutive run plays there was a pass play in there that doesn't count because it was a pass interference call. Mm-hmm. But 32 run plays, they were just like, you know what? We don't think you can score, so let's just run the ball. And if we have to punt, we punt. That's fine. And James Franklin didn't have an answer for it. On the other side of that, though, like this was the most competitive anybody has been with Michigan all sure. year. Sure. It's, it's not that bad. I mean, look, I don't think Drew Aller played a great game. I don't think they have the talent of Michigan. Everyone who watched football this year know, knew that. Like mm-hmm. you, once you saw Penn State play Ohio State, you knew that they were a tier below them. Yeah, being a tier two Big Ten team is still like in the upper five percent of all teams, and their fans are just not happy with it. They want James Franklin gone. Good luck. Good luck finding somebody else. Like I don't know, you're just instantly going to hire somebody, and they're going to show up, and you're going to beat Ohio State and Michigan every time. Right. And this this is the thing I struggle with fans and coaching changes is we often and and I'm guilty of this too we often just think of it as like well I'm not super happy with the way things are going so fire them and you gotta you gotta replace them with somebody so this is where I was landing the other and and I will you know you had your mea culpa moment I will go back and say Dave Doran ever since I got on here it's because of you. After I, you said I'm, you wanted him I'm gone, he, he's, say- are you saying he's a listener of the podcast? I'm not saying. I'm just saying. <laughs> Ever since I got on here and was like, maybe I'm on the Fire Dave Doran train. But even when I said that, I said, but I don't know what the replacement would be. But ever since then, State hasn't lost. You know, just really surging. But I look at that and say, even if State were to drop the next couple of games, and I don't know, like if the season was disappointing and, we, and I thought you absolutely have to fire Dave Doran, I'd be a little questionable just because who do you hire that's better right now when he has done the same thing that I think like Dave Clawson has done at Wake Forest, what James Franklin has clearly done at Penn State. You've raised the floor of the program, which is one of the best things a coach can do. So when a bad year, when Penn State fans can actually justifiably feel like this year was disappointing because they're going to go 10-2 and two, or you know, whatever they're going to do. I mean, they've got Rutgers and Michigan State to end the year. 10 and 2. They're probably going to go 10 and 2. When that's disappointing, and everybody can look at it and say, yeah, I get why they're disappointed, because this team could have been a national title contender, and your only losses are against Ohio State and Michigan, who may very well both be in the playoff, potentially. They're definitely going to play for a chance to be in the playoff. You're in a pretty good spot. 
I understand all the stuff. I can we can rattle off the stats. We've had a couple of them. There's a few things. That, yeah, I understand the criticism of, of James Franklin, but who are you going to get that's going to be better? Who's going to have you in that position now, pretty consistently, where you're expected? Like when you're in a place where you're disappointed with winning top ten or losing top ten games, you're in a pretty good spot. If State were to play Michigan and lose to them, I'm not going to be like, ah, oh, damn, we should have had them. Like, my response is going to be like, gee, I'm sure glad they let us do that. That was real fun for, you know, a quarter, probably, maybe. I do like that James Franklin, in response to all the boos, in response to the tough questions, just threw his offensive coordinator on the bus and fired him after the game. Like, yeah, it's your fault. I mean, their offense does suck. It does. And I think they do have – that is the thing that needs to change. Yeah, they have no explosive plays. They like rank near the bottom of the FBS in explosive plays this season. They still manage to put up a lot of points just because their defense is so great yeah. and they get good field position and can run the ball. But but this uh, is what I I mean. I would look at it and say this has been a sort of a consistent issue for James Franklin at Penn State is the offense has lagged behind the defense. So maybe you need to change your approach to hiring an offensive coordinator. Get a search firm to help you out. I I don't know, but this is what drives me crazy sometimes about coaches is. You got to get a little creative, change up how you do things. If you can recognize this is the problem, if your offense has consistently been the issue, you can't just fire somebody and say, well, all right, let me find somebody who fits that same mold because that's what that's what football coaches tend to do. You need to change up how you're going to look for someone like that. To me, that just feels so obvious. And so if he can get creative with an offensive coordinator hire and be willing to let someone innovate then I think this they'll be they'll be fine moving forward. Drew Aller has got time ahead of him and like he's gonna get better. They seem to find running backs just between the couch cushions over there. Like they'll be all right. How about Sharon Moore? What a what a quote. I did this for you. <laughs> the Michigan thing, we haven't talked about the Michigan thing since the suspension got handed down. What do you think about that? The Big Ten stepping in, giving Jim Harbaugh a three-game suspension, basically suspending him for the rest of the regular season, but hold, but keeping the door open to him coaching in the playoff or the Big Ten championship game if they make it. I don't know. Now you got the lawyers involved, and now it just becomes that, which I don't love. It's not as fun to think about a story when it's like litigating injunctions yeah. and restraining orders and all this other stuff. I really struggle with this one because, look, don't take this as a defense of Harbaugh in Michigan or anything, but I do have a hard time with a punishment coming down before an investigation is complete. With them not willing to say, we know for sure this is what happened and here's like the official punishment, we're just going to suspend them kind of while we're still litigating this. That feels not great to me. So I understand Michigan's response in saying like, don't we get a little bit of due process here? At the same time, the thing that really kind of nauseates me about the whole thing is we did this with Pat Fitzgerald, too, at Northwestern. He's not the victim. Right. He's being investigated for something that we can all acknowledge is a violation of the rules. Now, we could get into whether the rule is stupid or not, which I think it kind of is, but he still broke the rules. I, I don't, I don't, I guess I should, that's a lazy comparison to Pat Fitzgerald. I'm not comparing what they did, obviously. His stuff was way worse, but we see a coach who there are players that love or whatever. They're popular for some reason and they get suspended and we, they're the victim. And Paul Feinbaum was talking about this today. Like he's, he's the culprit here. This is not, I don't know. Sean Moore talked about him like he's dead. 
No, he's in his hotel room watching. <laughs> I, I just like he's given press conferences where he's saying that chickens are nervous birds <laughs> and that. Uh, did you see? Did you see yeah. that? Like, I'm the iron wall that viruses bash against and shatter. I'll do some more push-ups and eat an apple. Boom. Yeah, like that sounds like the guy who's really being repressed at this point. Yeah, I, I don't know. He really is. He's a unique guy. I don't know what the outcome of this is going to be. I, I don't know what happened. I don't know how much he knew. I, I'm inclined. We talked about this off air a little bit. Biff Pogey, longtime Michigan, give me a little bit assistant of current Charlotte coach. You know, chimed in to say that he says he was closer to Jim Harbaugh over the last three years than anyone other than his family. If Jim knew, I would have known. I didn't know, and neither did he. I stake my reputation on it. And then my favorite part of the statement: Stop whining and get a better team. <laughs> Classic. Classic Biff. You got biffed. And I think that's hard because I, I you know, when when you're somebody like Biff Poggi's name hasn't come up in this. So you're throwing yourself into it to quote stake your reputation on it. Would you do that? I'm gonna I'm gonna stake my shirt sleeves. <laughs> my coaching shirt sleeves on this. Like, would you really do that and take that risk if if you actually knew there was something wrong, like so, either right. either he's telling the full truth that, like, oh yeah, he definitely would have known, and Jim didn't know, or he wasn't as close to Jim Harbaugh as he thought he was, and Jim Harbaugh was hiding this from him. I I don't know, but I struggle with it, and I struggle with what the punishment should be, because if you let him coach, then I know what they're gonna do, because then if you find out there was something wrong, they're gonna do the NCAA thing they always do of vacating wins, and that mm-hmm. punishes kids who. Blake Corum isn't doing this, although he has uh, that whole side story. That's well, again being yeah. investigated. With I, guess, I guess that's fair. Yeah, I picked the, the wrong. wrong <laughs> I picked the wrong JJ person. McCarthy yeah, JJ McCarthy it. isn't doing this. I don't know, man. It just it, it it doesn't make me feel really great about it. All I know is Michigan has been dominant, and there's something building there. And I don't know if it is because of this. I do like that. Harbaugh's worst season recently in Michigan was the year that fans weren't allowed to be in the stands but so like look I understand there's smoke there but I don't love suspending without having a fully completed investigation I will say this story online like the takes you get from both sides have about as much uh as much clarity as like people talking about the Israel conflict right now. It's like it's like all Ohio State and Michigan people just screaming at each other. It's well, then you have the wrinkle of the private investigator. Maybe it was hired by Ohio State, right? And broke some laws to do that. So right. like, shut the whole thing down. These two teams just don't get. Let's to play put football. Penn State in the championship and and yeah, and take all the Michigan and Ohio State players and and uh, you get to have like a like an expansion draft where teams mm. get to pick them. Okay. Just other That's big more or less what Colorado's doing anyway. But. Yeah, that's fair. I think you'd limit it to the Big Ten. Yeah. I like that they threatened in the most, in the <laughs> worst bluff you've ever heard in your life that they were going to leave the Big Ten. Michigan like yeah. wrote this letter and was like, we are going to possibly sue you if you do this and consider leaving the Big Ten. It's like the literal equivalent of a kid being like, I'm moving away. And I'm running away, and I'm going to go live in my treehouse, and that'll be where I live now. Like, sure. Look, sure you are. I think you're right that it's a bluff, but at the same time, if you're Jim Phillips and you're not making some phone calls. <laughs> <laughs> if 
can they do that? Uh, hey, so if they're going to leave, what if we bring them to the ACC? I bet Florida Ooh. State Florida State was probably calling and being like, if they go, if, if, call <laughs> us next. <laughs> so, I, yeah, I mean, obviously, if Michigan became available, that would be a, kind of a wild a realignment. Two quick stories that I want to just touch on before moving to this week. Yeah. One just amazing performance by Jaden Daniels. He became the first player in FBS history to record 350 passing yards and 200 rushing yards. If you just like cut his total in half, this is something Spencer Hall was saying on his podcast. If you cut his total in half in both of those categories, he still has a really, really good day. Yeah. But this is like an amazing day that should be a Heisman moment, but maybe it isn't because LSU has three losses. And like, that that's what holds him back, right? Is team success because I think we talked about this I guess it was the last episode we were talking about Heisman situation and where we're at. And we were saying that like we're getting into the part of the season where the contenders have their Heisman moment. This was a Heisman moment. If I've ever seen one, just an absolutely incredible performance. So I, I mentioned last week, the athletic does their straw poll. He moved up. He's in second place. He got eight first place votes compared to Michael Penix's 11. Marvin Harrison jr. Had nine. Bo Nix is actually the betting favorite in some markets that I've seen now. Yeah. So, and but, I think some of that is probably anticipating a big showdown. Yeah, yeah. But it, it'll be interesting to see over the next few weeks. Like all of these players have big games in the next few weeks that are going to give them a chance to, you know, boost their stats. But the problem is that Daniels doesn't have any of the. I mean, they've got Georgia State and Texas A and M. They're not going to be big the opportunities <laughs> to put up some numbers. I mean, I mean, that's the thing is he's got to put up crazy numbers. We haven't had a Heisman winner who played for a team that ended the season unranked since. Do you want to guess? Mm, I don't know. 1985. School was Auburn. Bo Jackson. Bo, yeah, I was Bo, about Bo to Jackson. Say, I could. His name was like yeah, not yeah, yeah. popping into my brain. Yeah, that's Bo our Jackson. last Heisman winner who played for a team that ended the season unranked. Since then, there's only been five Heisman winners on teams that lost three games. Mm. So Tim Brown in 87, Ricky Williams in 98, Tebow in 07, RG3 in 11, and Lamar Jackson in 2016. And that that Lamar Jackson season is probably Jaden Daniels' hope because he had such crazy numbers that he beat out Deshaun Watson, who had a national championship team in Clemson. Yeah, Daniels accounts for 408.2 yards per game, which is 57 yards more than the next closest, including Michael Penix and Bo Nix. He also has 38 touchdowns rushing and passing, which is more than 81 teams in the country. <laughs> like, just him. That's pretty solid. Pretty good. Yeah. Remember when he was, like, just sort of okay at Arizona okay State? Arizona State, and you didn't know whether... There was, like, some discussion Max Johnson was the guy at LSU, and there was some discussion about whether Jaden Daniels or Max Johnson, who got yeah. the right end of that bargain. Hmm. Wasn't Jimbo. No, it sure wasn't. Other thing I wanted to point out real quickly, much funnier. These AI prompts are getting out of control. <laughs> you know, you go online and you see these things on the internet. And you're like, I, I don't know that this is real. Sam Pittman, Arkansas head coach, had to address that his team was caught watching the Polar Express during halftime of their beatdown loss against Auburn. Those are just words jammed together. Yeah. I had to reread this several times. I did not think this was real for most of the day. Sure. And then it came out that it was real. Somebody had put it on. Here's the quote from Sam Pittman, 
which is going to be is, is not going to add clarity to your understanding what <laughs> I just said. Quote, what was the show? I haven't seen Polar Express, so I don't really know my thoughts on the movie. OK, that's funny. That's a, that, <laughs> that part's funny. In our locker room, I want to reward our kids by letting them run through the A if they practice well. We don't have enough lockers in our main locker to house all the kids, so some of them have to go in a separate locker. It's separate with a separate door to the locker. A young man I've already met with and addressed it with him, he made a mistake. I'm sorry, how did the Polar Express get on? Well, to clarify, that separate part is only for redshirt players. So this guy wasn't going to play. So they aren't going to play. So he's just chilling out watching the Polar Express. That's right. And then they come into the locker room, and he's like, oh, hey, uh, sorry. I got, I got. Where's the off button? I can't then, hit the off button. But then button. he goes on to say, that's why you don't want cameras in the locker room. <laughs> <laughs> For several reasons. You know, because of showering, this, that, and the other. This, True. that, and the other is the Polar Express. Polar apparently. Express. The mistake he's saying is like posting it and sending it. They have a team rule, apparently, about anything you, you don't post anything after friday night but he did it he made a mistake sent it to a friend friend sent it to his brother so i guess like the issue is the clarity of knowing that this wasn't like players who are in the game like when i first saw it i thought this was players who still had a half of football to play and they're watching i mean that's just such a bad look and oh yeah, and yeah, sam, yeah. Pitt, sam Pittman was already probably like on the hot seat possibly on his way out that this is just like and a blowout loss is the worst thing that could ever come out for arkansas fans to be like what you're yes. watching a polar express <laughs> tom hanks like I, that's you should be watching film like that's yeah yeah that's real and bad. then immediately go with i don't know my thoughts on the movie <laughs> is it up for an oscar <laughs> uh, i don't know how majestic it was so <laughs> all right should we talk about this week yeah let's do it all right this week Starting with the ACC, listen, there are a lot of ACC games on this week. Some of them are better than others. This Thursday night opener, 7.30 on ESPN. Boston College at Pitt is not one of the good ones. No. Old Big East showdown. I think it's maybe a bad reflection of the conference overall that a 2-8 and eight team is favored by three points against a team that's already bowl eligible. Yeah, BC has won five, had won five straight before the Hokies piled up 600 total yards against them last week at home. That's really, really bad. Uh, that Pitt AD has already given the vote of confidence to Pat Narduzzi to come back for next year, which... Thank God. Perfect. <laughs> Let him do it. Pitt doesn't have a quarterback set up for this game. Christian Veyer has uh, minus 14 net rushing yards, while Thomas Castellanos of Boston College is second in the country with 806 rushing yards. Real contrast. And it's very possible that Veyer's not even going to play, that they might go with their third string, which is someone named Nate Yarnell. Give me Boston College, I think. <laughs> that was not a vote of confidence. I mean, I wouldn't bet this game with your money, but yeah, I guess Boston College, they're getting three points and they seem like marginally a better team. I don't know. Look, I mean, Pitt, one of their two wins is over Louisville, who's now a top 10 team. Sure. That's got to be worth something. It's worth one win of their two. <laughs> and Wofford. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I mean, it's a, it's, a weird, it's a weird situation because I can't quite make sense of why Pitt is favored. It's not as though they have, like, a massive home field advantage or something. 
Get the terrible towels. Yeah. I ju- yeah, give me BC to bounce back. I I think they got I mean they got embarrassed by Tech mm-hmm. last week. That was one that I turned it on and like it was like 3 to nothing and then it was 7 to 3 and all of a sudden I looked back and it was 31 to 7 and I was just like, "Oh, okay, cool. I guess Tech is going to win this game." <laughs> Didn't expect it to look quite like that. We both said we liked Tech to win that mm-hmm. one, but I don't think either of us predicted that. No. I like BC to bounce back. Cassianos, I mean, better to have a quarterback than not, I guess. So (laughs) (laughs) that old adage. Yeah. Uh, But yeah, I think I think BC probably wins this one pretty, pretty easily. Saturday at noon on ABC, an important game, actually, in the ACC. Louisville travels to Miami and it's a pick 'em. There's a pick 'em, which is a little smelly to me, considering Mm -hmm. that. Miami is playing with their backup quarterback. Emory Williams played pretty well against Florida State, but then got injured and is going to be out for the rest of the season. They went back to Tyler Van Dyke, who came in and promptly threw a game-clinching interception for the Hurricanes. In the last five games, he has 11 interceptions, which is startling for somebody that I thought was a good quality quarterback. It's not looking great for him right now. He is banged up. Cardinals can clinch a spot in the ACC championship. But more importantly, this game is a new rivalry trophy. This is the first meeting mm. for the Schellenberger Trophy. Uh, Howard Schellenberger was a famous coach. He coached at both schools over the years. So they have a new trophy where it's his cowboy boots and like a bronze statue. Despite the fact that this is kind of a stinky line, I don't like it. I'm just going to stick with Louisville because I think they're better. I think. God, I want to pick. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> I want to pick Miami so bad in this game. I can't because I think that they're bad at football. Well, I think like Tyler Van Dyke, just he hasn't thrown a touchdown pass since October 14th. Yeah, he's not good at football. And he's going to have to be the one who gets the offense going. So that's going to be bad. But then I also don't think that Jack Plummer... I, like we've been on here multiple I we've beat this dead horse that we don't think that Louisville's very good. They also have lots of dead horses in their area, but I don't think that Louisville is very good at football. Either I think they're better than Miami though, but this so my pick would be Louisville, but this wouldn't surprise me. No. If Miami were to win. Sure. Saturday at 3 on the CW Duke travels to Virginia. Virginia had another close loss another opportunity with a lead blown late this one hurts even more because it involved a serious injury to paris jones who was hospitalized and had to have spinal surgery to help get feeling back in his arms and legs which is just rough and was tough for the team to deal with it was clear momentum swing in the game when that happened duke i think if you look at the underlying stats duke has been way better all season SB Plus has this at a 14.5 point line for Duke. The line is only 4.5. And, and I think the only question was whether Grayson Loftus, the third string quarterback for Duke, would be capable of moving that offense. And he played really, really well against UNC, almost won the game at Carolina. So I think Duke's going to win this game. Virginia is bad at stopping the run. And Jordan Waters is one of the best running backs in the conference. And I think they're just going to hand it off to him a lot and try to get down the field that way. This one does smell to me. It is lower than you might think. I was surprised when it opened at five. I just, 
and I and I think it will. Honestly, I think this could be another close game, and I don't know how that makes UVA fans feel to have these like close losses in year two. We're very mixed on the subject. <laughs> yeah, in year two, given all that's happened, it almost it feels. I th- I'm kind of optimistic about it. I think you're you're competitive in games where there's a pretty significant talent gap, and that's good. That being said, I think Duke wins this game. Yeah, I think, I just think they're just they're just better. Yeah, I do think that there is a what I've seen a lot of on UVA Twitter from people is just like just beat Tech, and they've been saying that for a couple of weeks now, and that's not really the mentality you want to have with multiple weeks left in the season before playing Tech, and also becomes problematic then if you don't beat Tech. I don't know. I don't know how successful a three and nine year is where you beat Tech and UNC. It's talk about that later if it happens. I mean, it feels good on some level. Yeah, but. but not know. not enough it's it's the it's the jimbo thing so texas a&m said being good enough sh- can never be good enough and that's certainly not good enough <laughs> i love that quote <laughs> put that on my gravestone saturday 3 30 nbc wake forest at notre dame notre dame's favorite by 25 and the sam hartman bowl wake is 0 and 5 all time against notre dame and a rivalry that stretches all the way back to 2011 so <laughs> you know got that going for it Notre Dame's about to be at, like the most ho hum whatever nine and three season of all time, where like people don't really think about them, and some people are kind of disappointed with Marcus Freeman, but like they're nine and three and ranked seems pretty good. I'd trade with them. Yeah, Sam Hartman's gonna light Wake Forest up. Look, State just beat this team by twenty, and we have a only semi competent offense. I think that Notre Dame will have no problem with this, especially in Notre Dame with touchdown Jesus overlooking I just and Sam Hartman who basically is touchdown Jesus in appearance at least I don't know the line's kind of big I don't know if I if I feel like it's going to be like a huge blowout but it very well could be this is not a good wake team I'm laying those points 25 yeah this four touchdowns at least yeah that's fair I I think that again this is a situation where I feel like Dave Clawson has really raised the floor of a Wake Forest program where they're still going to be fighting for bowl eligibility here or still kind of are in that conversation. And uh, as I was reminded by my father, you know, decades ago, if Wake Forest was fighting for bowl eligibility, that was a great season for them. So the fact that this is a disappointment says a lot about where that program is. But on this given Saturday, Notre Dame is going to be a lot further ahead of them, largely because of the guy who transferred from Wake Forest to Notre Dame. So uh, this is, yeah, it's not going to be pretty for the Deeks. Saturday at 3.30, you mentioned NC State. Let's talk about them. They're playing on the ACC Network at a game you're going to. Traveling to Blacksburg to face the Hokies, who have been playing really well lately with one little blip in the middle. Tech's favored by three now. That line's moving towards Virginia Tech. I will say Brennan Armstrong did his job last week. Coming in to redemption arc, the Brennan Armstrong redemption arc, 12 for 17, 111 yards. 15 carries for 96 yards rushing. It's NC State's second straight game, allowing only six points. And I think that their front seven will pose a significant challenge for Virginia Tech. I don't really know what I think about this game. I kind of think that Virginia Tech has a lot of good vibes going right now, and NC State doesn't have a competent offense. But I overall think that this game is going to be like 2017. I'm just not sure which team Mm. comes out in front. Yeah, I mean, this is definitely two teams that feel like they're playing their best football right now 
the MJ Morris debacle for NC State, you could argue, has kind of had the opportunity, I guess, to take away from some of the good vibes that come from beating Clemson and Miami two games in a row. But look, I'll Aiden White said it best. Brennan Armstrong has handled this situation like a grown ass man, and he stepped out there and played a great game. And I think kind of saved the vibes of the NC State season, to be honest with you. I think this thing could have tanked, but that team with a lot of veteran leaders said, like, you know what? And I don't, I, I'm not in the locker room. I don't know what that situation looks like inside the team, but what could have been bad, I think they've kind of gathered around each other and said, no, what? We're going to have a good end of this season and still got a chance to grab that elusive 10 win season that Dave Doran hasn't been able to get if they're able to went out here, beat Tech and Carolina, and then go win a bowl game. Um, but I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves because this this Virginia Tech team playing well, I mean, outside of getting blown out by Louisville two weeks ago, they've had a really good stretch here. I think the key for NC State is going to be, you know, can you contain Kyron Drones? Is he able to – you're going to put pressure on him, but you can't let him get outside of the pocket and make plays with his legs. But I like the way our defense is playing right now. Tony Gibson has another elite unit. I mean, you look at all any defensive stat you want to look at, they're top 20, top 25 in the country. So I think NC State's going to come in there and stifle uh, that Virginia Tech offense that has been playing a lot better recently. And then it's just a question of how good the offense looks for State. But I do – I like State in this game. I think if this were not in Blacksburg, we would not be underdogs at all. I'm excited to go. I've, I've actually never been to Lane Stadium as a visiting fan. I've only mm. ever been with my wife, like, pulling for the Hokies. So I'm curious to see how that goes. Yeah. I want stories. I want turkey legs thrown at me. Yeah. But it'll be fun. I'm excited because, I like, previously I've been to, like, Virginia Tech against William & Mary type games. You know, not, nothing mm. like so. This is one of the biggest games I've been to, and I think it'll be – 3.30, give those give give those fans some time to tailgate beforehand, and we're going to have a good time. I really hope NC State wins. They, they've already hit the over for me, which made You're me welcome. a significant amount of money, and Wake Forest hit the under for the season for me. So, And then also picked NC State to win last week. So really, really good. Go yeah. Pack. Go Pack. Saturday at 3.30 on ESPN, UNC traveling to Clemson. UNC is a six-and-a-half-point underdog. They escaped the rivalry game against Duke and now have to travel to Clemson, a team that is playing pretty well right now. They uh, have a top 10 defensive unit in a number of different categories, uh, the 10th in interceptions, top 10 in defensive touchdowns allowed, pass and efficiency defense is fifth. I think this is going to be a tough situation for UNC. They've just been like holding on for dear life. They probably should be 6-4, and four, or at least could be if those overtime games against bad teams had gone the other way. Even though their offense is good, I think this is just a bad spot for them, and Clemson is just going to really stifle their offense. Give me the Tigers. Yeah, I'm torn on this one. I mean, like in terms of what I think will happen, I think Clemson wins this game. I can't decide what I want to happen. I always want Carolina to lose. So that I have that part of me. Normally, I would say I'll pull for Clemson over Carolina any day. The problem is State plays Carolina next week, and I don't really know if I want them coming off of a loss. Like I mm. feel like they're coming off of a loss with a chance. I, they lost like, UVA and then lost to Georgia Tech. So it's true. Maybe it doesn't matter. It feels different <laughs> going into a rivalry game. with like If we were to beat Tech and they lose to Clemson, we come into that with identical records. And it feels like that's going to be a really pissed-off Carolina team. 
That being said, I can never pull for them to win. So I want Clemson to win this game. I think Clemson's going to win this game. I just, I'm envisioning, I mean, honestly, this is going to be a big running game. Both teams have strong rushing attacks. So if Clemson can establish that, that's great. If this comes down to quarterback play, it's going to be a problem for Clemson. Like Drake May, uh, hot take here, Drake May is better than Kate Klubnik. That's true. (laughs) So hopefully it doesn't come down to that, but I do like Clemson here. Tickets available for 16 bucks if you want to get on Man. the secondary market. Kind of wild that a Clemson UNC game. UNC still eight and two and ranked and like that's I don't know. Come on, Clemson. It's, not, it's not that mean, bad. I'd go if I lived within a couple hours yeah, of Clemson. Absolutely. Saturday, 630. We get a second CW game. Woo! Our cup runneth over. UNA is playing Florida State. No line because it's an FCS game. We won't know for a few days. My grandparents went to UNA in oh. Florence, Alabama. Yeah, both graduates up? of that. I think it was called Florence State maybe at the time, oh, okay. but now UNA. They have a long and rich history of playing good football. They were the only school in the history of NCAA football to win three consecutive national champions. They wow. won D2 championships in 93, 94, and 95. They were also the first D2 squad to be invited to the White House. How about that? Pretty cool. They got yeah. to meet Bill Clinton. Huh. Florida State by 45 points. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, this is a, they're three and seven. Like, so they're not, not even good. having a good year at their, at their level. Florida State, I don't know if you've heard, but they are having a good year. It would be hilarious if Florida State lost this game. They did lose to Jacksonville State a couple years ago at the beginning of the Norvell yeah. era. This feels like worse. a different team here. Yeah. And uh, yeah, Florida State's going to blow them out. So. I wouldn't bet this game only because they have the rivalry game against Florida, and it, they could easily like get a comfortable lead, pull everybody, make sure nobody gets hurt. They've yeah, already got absolutely. some receivers that are banged up. But. And finally, Saturday, 8 o'clock, the ACC Network game. Taylor Tannenbaum gets stuck with this. She's had a lot of exciting games this year, but yeah. now she's got to do this one in Atlanta between Syracuse and Georgia Tech. Syracuse finally ended their five-game losing streak and now are on the bowl eligibility line. Their game in Yankee Stadium against Pitt. I don't know if you saw the stats for this. Wild stuff. They won the game despite completing only four total passes and only attempting eight. Their leading receiver, Garrett Schrader, the quarterback who wasn't even supposed to play because of injury. He was their leading receiver with one catch for six yards. And they still won the game. They're not a serious football team. Give me the Jackets. We can't let this team play in a bowl. No. Georgia Tech has to win this game. If if there is any integrity, sanctity in football, we cannot let this Syracuse football. Look, we already were coming dangerously close to a world where an Iowa team could win the Big Ten. (laughs) Like, we cannot let this Syracuse team. We have to defend democracy. Go to the pinstripe bowl or anything i know there's so many bowls now that they may just make it because they exist are they allowed to play two games in yankee stadium in the same year is that allowed maybe somebody look up the rule book go jackets easily covering a touchdown i I think it's a multi-score game here and then it just comes down to wake forest in the last week of the season to keep syracuse out of a bowl i don't feel great about that (laughs) either nope that'll give you some acid reflux uh so that's it. That's the ACC slate. We've got some interesting top 25 games that are also on the docket that we'll talk about quickly. 
first at 2.30 on the Pac-12 network, a network that I don't have somehow. It's like the one network I don't have. Nobody has it. Nobody, like, it's ridiculous. This is, again, not a serious conference. I don't understand. People should want to watch the Pac-12, so many good teams. But Utah, a one-point favorite traveling to Arizona, which has had an amazing season the last few weeks since they made the quarterback change. Uh, Noah Fafita wasn't the starter to begin the year, but he's 4-1 and one since coming in with his only loss being a triple overtime loss against USC. He's 15th in the overall QBR, which is pretty good. And the Wildcats are 5-0 and oh against the spread at home this year, all of which leads me to think that they're going to win. But I'm going to take Utah. <laughs> Why not? Utah looked pretty good against... They, they had Washington yeah. on the ropes. They sure. were up at halftime and then could not score in the second half. But they had 28 points in the first half. Also, that Washington guy did the Deshaun Jackson thing where he just it. like dropped the ball at the <sighs> goal. Like, ugh. Yeah. Such a bad look. But, I mean, that's the thing. is like, So, Washington should have won by two touchdowns if that hadn't happened. Well, Got to get in the end zone, man. That yeah. Utah defense toughened up as he <laughs> approached the goal line. <laughs> This is a tough one because I've not been a big believer in Utah all year. I know you have, and every week it feels like you're trying to convince me that Utah is better than they are. Stop trying to make fetch a thing. <laughs> uh, but Arizona has made Fafita a thing, and I good. I love – none of us saw this coming. Uh, when Arizona lost to Mississippi State early in the season, barely beat Stanford – I don't know, man. This was not something. I mean, they they only lost to Washington by a touchdown, lost to USC by two. If Arizona wins those two games, they're like they're arguably in the playoff day. conversation. Yep. <laughs> so give me Arizona here. I, I think they win this game. I think this is a, an incredible season, and I love it. They are fun to root for. I will say that. 3.30 on CBS, Georgia. Undefeated season on the line, traveling to Neyland Stadium to play Tennessee, a team coming off an embarrassing loss against Missouri. I'm not really sure why Tennessee is even ranked at this point. Like, they should not be ranked. Three losses. Yeah. and Especially not no. 13th. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's not good. I have money on Georgia to lose a game this year in the regular season. This is really my last chance for this to happen. So I'm rooting for Tennessee. But You don't think Vandy's going to do it? I don't. <laughs> or Georgia Tech. <laughs> but... Honestly, like the only the only thing that Tennessee fans have going for them if you go online is like, oh, Dolly Parton's coming to the game. That's pretty cool. That'll give us some good vibes. Mm. Like, I don't think that's enough to beat Georgia. Probably not. Yeah, I, I'm struggling with this Tennessee team as well. Ranked 13th in the country. And you look over, I mean, their best win is probably Kentucky, yeah. Texas A&M, Virginia. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know. They I mean, didn't play well against us, honestly. They lost by multiple scores to Florida. I mean, they, I guess their best win was being up at all against Alabama. And then they lost the game by multiple scores. They got blown out by Missouri. I, I just I don't totally understand it. I think that Georgia, if you look at their run over the last several weeks, is a team that you know people have asked a lot of questions about, have doubted. When they played Kentucky, they absolutely demolished them, crushed Florida. Missouri played them close, but they were able to take control of that game at the end and then just embarrassed Ole Miss last week. This Georgia team is crazy good, and I doubted them early on. I thought maybe they weren't going to be as good as they have been, but I think they're going to absolutely, absolutely destroy 
Tennessee here. This just no shot. Seven o'clock on FS1. It's the Sunflower Showdown in a battle for the Governor's Trophy between Kansas State, favored by seven and a half, and Kansas. This rivalry goes back to the formation of both schools and a governor who is from Lawrence, Charles L. Robinson, basically single-handedly kept the initial university from being in Manhattan. He wanted it to be Mm -hmm. in Lawrence and got it vetoed. Several different votes on it ended up being in Lawrence, and then Manhattan had the land-grant university. So these two teams don't like each other. You got to know that both of these teams are coming into the game knowing Holding that. Holding a grudge from Civil that. War era grudge about their where things were located. Yeah, I really like the way that Kansas State's played for their last five games have been wins and all of the wins have been blowouts. So EMA, but seven and a half in a rivalry game in Lawrence, tempted to take the points there. Yeah, I mean, I think this is a, a tough one to pick. I mean, I haven't watched a ton of Kansas State this year I've seen a little bit of Kansas and you know they obviously had a upset loss to Texas Tech last week on a last second field goal gotta think that maybe that plays in their in their team psyche here and this is a different Kansas team than it has been before Lance Leopold got there this is an interesting situation because I think these are probably two coaches that are going to be elsewhere next year probably both texas a&m candidates <laughs> i mean the first literally the first call i was joking of earlier i mean i would take james franklin as uva's coach but i think if i am hiring a coach lance leipold is my first call yeah a hundred percent yeah but i i think that he's probably going to get some bigger offers but you know we'll see yeah i mean texas a&m clearly will call him yeah I think winner of this game gets that job, loser gets Michigan State's job, but Ooh. Uh, <laughs> that's kind of how I see this shake it out. All that being said, I think Kansas State's going to win. Make some real stakes. Don't do the like barbecue, the governors <laughs> or whatever, do a barbecue exchange. Do that. I guess like, really, your coach has to leave. You want to make that stakes, loser has to go to Texas A&M. You have to go <laughs> coach San Diego State if you lose. Uh, last game between ranked teams, Washington at Oregon State. Oregon State, the favorite of two and a half points playing at home in Corvallis. It will be their last home Pac-12 game in history unless they win the lawsuits and keep the Pac-12 going with whoever else they... (laughs) San Diego State. (laughs) San Diego State or whatever. I like the over of this game of 63 and a half. I did predict on last week's show that Utah would cover against Washington because Washington had a big win. And then kind of wobbled in the next game. They did that earlier this year against Arizona State after being order, beating Oregon. And this game's really tough. This is a tough one for me to choose. I've been rooting for Washington all year because they just seem like the most likable of the teams that could make the playoff. But Oregon State has a chance to do something real hilarious to their conference and knock them out of the playoff discussion. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I want both teams to win. Yeah. I don't know. I Give me Oregon State. Why not? Uh, In their last game, I'm a nostalgic person. Yeah, sure. I like the I like the, si- I like the story. I like the situation. I love the Beavs. Big Beav fan. All that being said, Washington's my team now in terms of who I think is going to win the national championship, honestly. Not necessarily think, but I guess root for. Um, They're just so likable. I love them. And They're fun to watch. 
I just, it's so good. I, this is another one that like, you know, Oregon State getting the old home field advantage line, kind of like the tech game. You know, I think if this were in Seattle, it's a whole different situation, but um, it'll be tough. Like this is not going to be, this is the middle of a absolute gauntlet of a schedule to end the season for Washington. So they took care of business against USC and Utah. They've got the Apple Cup next week looming against the Washington State team that is struggling, but it's still like we know the talent's there and it'll be a rivalry game. So you can't overlook Oregon State. Um, but Washington with a really unique opportunity uh, in these last two weeks to bid farewell to the, the Pac-2. They got Oregon State and Washington State. That's that's How's that for a goodbye? You know, they each get the best Pac-12 team that we've seen in a few years to end their run. Yeah, give me give me Washington here. I, I don't think it'll be easy. This Oregon State defense is really good. Their offense is efficient. Uh, but I do think that with the way Washington has been running the ball recently, in addition to Michael Penix and the explosive passing plays, I like Washington here to win. A couple other games of note. First, just James Madison hosting college game day for the third time. I really hope App State wins. Man, just go in there and ruin their day. Uh, they deserve it, but also, like... I think game day should have gone to Corvallis like that Absolutely. would have last chance to really do it with them in a major conference. So I want James Madison to lose also USC UCLA contrast of styles there, but more importantly, just beautiful uniforms, both of them wearing their home colors. It's like one of my favorite things in Love football. It. It just looks so pleasing to the eye. Yeah. When we, uh, at the beginning of the year talked about favorite college football traditions, I had that one. It's one of my, or one of us had it. We talked about it. We did talk about it. It was great. I get wanting JMU to lose, but I kind of want them to go undefeated just to put a little pressure on the NCAA and on the playoff committee. No, because what's going to happen, they're not going to fold, and then James Madison is going to have a parade declaring themselves sure, the national championship. True. Like getting, They're going to print T-shirts. Yeah. I Georgia what, was afraid to play us. <laughs> you're talking about ticket prices and getting into that US. You can get into that UNC Clemson game for 15, 16 bucks. Cheapest tickets. Get in the door for App State James Madison. $190. Mm. That's wild. That is wild. That is absolutely wild to go to a game at Bridgeforth Stadium in Harrisonburg, Virginia. It's going to cost you 200 bucks. Bring the whole family. Just to get in. Just to get in. It's absurd. Hate it. Uh, you can reach us at any time with email or questions, or picks, or criticisms of the show, you can email us at preferredwalkons at yahoo.com, or you can find us on social media at pwopod. I think there is a common factor that now we have enough karmic evidence to realize, which is Jimbo Fisher, in his press conference when he was announced as the Texas A&M coach, what they gave him was a plaque that had the national championship on it with a blank year. Just here it is. It's going to be, it's only a matter of when. That's right. Boy, does that remind me of the Virginia Tech trophy case. <laughs> <laughs> if you declare that a national championship is imminent in any sport, you are destined to be unsuccessful. Karma is real. Yeah, I, um, I don't hate that take, and I think that we just shouldn't do that. Like, no, stop doing that. Stop giving trophies for that you haven't won yet. <laughs> Just everyone. It's a, it's stupid. You look dumb because the odds are 
you're not going to do that. Winning championships is hard. Yeah, and only one team does it every year. So just by percentages. I think it would be funny if, like, they be in one of these coaching hires, like uh, Michigan State, or just hire some rando, and then it's like, here's your national championship trophy that you're going to definitely win for us. Or, like, San Diego State does it. San Diego State does it. Boise State. I love it. Give Boise State, give them the the MPC Computers Bowl trophy. <laughs> <laughs> Just scratch even, off the year. It's not like, even called that anymore. 